is good to worship with you this morning. This morning is, I would say the last couple days have been a reminder (laughs) to me how frail life is. You most likely are very aware of that yourself, of how frail life is. Uh, Y'all, it's not very... I can't remember the last time Ken got sick. Um, The day of Sunday. And it's happened three times in the last... Am I on? Am I on? Yes. Uh, um, It has happened three times in the last two months. And in one sense, you know, Sam was uh, joking. He was like, wow, I wonder if uh, the enemy just doesn't want us to hear the end of Revelation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, what's going on, right? What is happening? Uh, though we know that our Savior is the one who is in charge and who has ordained even this morning. And last night in praying what the Lord would have to say to his church, because Ken is, once again, sick. Uh, Romans chapter 15 spoke to me, and I trust the Holy Spirit to lead in such a way to trust, to to speak to you this morning. Because it is a passage that we will read this morning that is about hope. And we just heard even this last song, and Jack prayed for those who have no hope to find their hope in Christ. But also for us as Christians, often can lose sight of our hope that we have. Because life is real, and life is frail. We're very aware, many of the circumstances around, as I look out, I'm looking at many whom I love, and many whom I know have walked through very hard circumstances. I know many who are walking in very hard circumstances. And if you have a common grace upon you and there's no hard circumstance, if you are a Christian, you know one will come. That will happen. Struggle is real. I won't look at this gentleman because I will start crying, but I'm aware of a brother in Christ who has been sitting next to take me even looking at him, uh, next to his daughter these last weeks, who's not sure what the Lord's plan is with her. You, individually, very well may be aware of concerns for your future. What's 2024 have in store for you financially? Battle of discouragement. Maybe potentially feeling that the cup is just half empty. 
we are all ordinary people that walk in these similarly. While each circumstance is very different, we all walk in a life where finding hope consistently is not always easy. Some will feel hopeless. Some will. It's just simply that finding hope seems so far away to get, to get, and to grasp. And in seasons that are uniquely challenging, it is not necessarily to say that 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 person should simply find an emotional hope that simply produces joy in the midst of the circumstances. While in the midst of the circumstance, yes, God will meet you. But often it's in the times of the reprieve that we prepare for what it looks like to have hope in the midst of the hard moments of life. And so no matter how you are coming in this morning, believe the Lord desires to encourage you if you are in the midst of hardship, if you are aware it's coming, to remind yourself where your firm foundation is and where your hope is resides the passage that we will read in Romans 15 has this purpose of the text and the purpose of the text this morning the Lord intends is this community that overflows with hope and the root of Jesse Jesus desires a community a church his people to overflow with hope in the root of Jesse. That is his desire, it is his promise, which we will see, but it is also your call this morning. The Lord desires you to walk in community with overflowing hope in the root of Jesse. And here is what the promise is, and I want you to see the end in mind first real quick before we even read this passage. The promise, as we read this passage, will be God-giving hope that results in joy and peace. How many of you want more joy? How many of you want more peace? How many of you want more hope in God? Where? Yes, and amen. Welcome to the Advent season. Because you will have the opportunity to hear and to dwell upon each of these truths that the Lord desires. But this morning, as we read this passage, we see where God desires us to find our hope that then results in joy and peace. And we all desire to grow here. So let us read Romans chapter 15 starting in verse 7, and we will read through verse 13. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, 
and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Let's go before the Lord. Father, as we read your words, we know this morning your word is true, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in each of our lives as we understand your words deeper. May we understand your love and your plan fuller. We know at the end here the God of hope wants to fill your disciples, with joy and peace. So would you do that this morning? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, in whom is the one who helps us abound and overflow in hope, would you do that this morning? And all of this occurs through believing in you, Jesus. Would you help us do that this morning? Amen. As we look at chapter 15, verse 7, verse 7 starts with Paul speaking. He says, therefore, and we all know as we study God's word, the question you are supposed to ask when you see the word therefore, which is, what is it? Therefore. And interesting, Paul loves this word actually all throughout the book of Romans, because he builds upon past truths to make a point. And here we have in verse 7, where he has actually built upon truths in the past three chapters to come to this very point here in verse 7. And interesting enough, it is the last, therefore, in the book of Romans. And a lot has happened in the book of Romans. But particularly in the last three verses, there was a shift in chapter 12 of the book of Romans that put a focus on how to live as a Christian. The chapters prior was very much rooted upon the doctrines of grace, of who our Savior is. And then it was in chapter 12, how do we then live as a Christian? And we will not review all of the last few chapters, though a few things you will be reminded of. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. Use your gifts that God has given you for the edification of His church. Outdo one another in love. Submit to your authorities. Do not judge one another. But instead, build 
one another up in the Lord. Therefore, welcome one another. Is that the command you thought would happen? Isn't that kind of? I mean, I find it somewhat interesting. Like, wait a minute. Build up, build up. And then, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, here is what is remarkable. I believe the best way for us to understand this passage is to again remember verse 13. Because the Lord's intent for how we are to live and find hope is going to be rolled out in these verses. But let's look back to verse 13 for a moment to remember at the end of this, this passage here, it is for an intent, something will happen, and that is, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this is the end result, which of course we will talk about, but the beginning to accomplishing this, there is a command that is overflowing from a heart of knowing Christ, and that is Christians welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. This is a church learning how to be a family. That is what this is. A church, disciples learning how to live life together, how to ha live life together with people who are sometimes very different. The Jew and the Gentile was different. And as in Christ, as he comes and brings them together, he is giving a command, and that is the way we are to live life is one as a church, it's welcoming one another. Verse 7, I'm going to read again. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So, Paul really wants you to know this one thing, and we know God wants you to know this one thing through Paul as he wrote this, is it is a call for you to welcome one another. And in doing so, appropriately, and rooted in the right place, you will receive hope, which will result in joy and peace. So how you engage God's people truly matters. How you introvert, engage God's people truly matters. How you extrovert, engage God's people truly matters. What's the name of the middle one? Ambervert. You ambervert. How you engage with God's people truly matters. And so as we take a step back and we look at this verse, we do see that the Lord intends the relationship we have with one another to reflect the gospel. That is what 
our relationships with one another are intended to do, and particularly it reflects the gospel in the way we welcome one another. Yes, Christian, you were a sinner. Well, you are a sinner. But prior to Christ, you were a sinner, separated from Christ, not in relationship with him, filled with weakness, very different than Jesus, who was deity, and Jesus welcomed you into his family. Who are you to be in the family of God? Do you feel that grace? Who are we? Ephesians 2 speaks of this. It says, you were a stranger alienated from God, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So that you are no longer strangers, you are no longer aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. And hear it, you Christian are members of the household of God. That is grace. And here, Paul, as he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, he is urging us to accept one another whom are sinners, whom are weak, whom are often hostile before God and maybe you, who are different than you, you are to also accept others. So isn't it remarkable that what seems like a very polite thing to do, Christ provides his hope to you. Because this is not about being polite. This is not about being culturally acceptable. The right thing to do when someone walks through the door is say hello, acknowledge them. There is something that God is doing through you taking a moment to welcome someone. And that is what we are seeing. It is, it is reflecting of the gospel. If you are a visitor this morning or a guest, it is right for you to come in and just get to know us a little bit. Sit down, observe a little bit to see who is this church, who are these people. That's okay. Though, when you know you are called to a family, your role is not to simply come in and sneak out. Because God has you here to even in the simplest form to acknowledge and accept by welcoming someone here at Mercy Hill whom you may not have anything in commonality. God uses that for His glory. So if you feel I am not gifted in this, that's okay. Why do you do it? Verse 7, why do you do it? For the glory of God. 
You welcome others for the glory of God. You welcome others because Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That's why you do it. You don't come in and function in simply your comfort zone. You come in for the glory of God to welcome others and trust that somehow the Lord is going to use that moment to reflect the gospel and produce a hope in Him that only He can produce. Paul goes into great measure to reinforce this point. And so our second point we are going to look at, the first was we welcome one another for the glory of God. And the second here is we welcome one another because Jesus has welcomed both Jew and Gentile. And this leads to hope. And so as we now look in verse 8 and 9, we will see as we read these verses that the Lord is doing something. Paul is organizing an argument to help us see the importance of simply welcoming one another as Christ has welcomed you. Verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant, not to the circumcised, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy. See, Christ here is not asking you to do something that He has not done Himself. He has welcomed both two people very different into His family. And He did it for a purpose. He did it to show that God is truthful in His Word, and that God is faithful. All right, now here's the reality. Paul is making sure in verse 8 that the Jews feel kind of special for a moment. Okay, that is what he's doing. He is making it very clear. Hey, Jews, yes, yes, Jesus did come for you at first. That's what Romans uh, 1 says. We know in Scripture, right, through Matthew, he came for the lost sheep of Israel. We know that Jesus was sent, and he did come to the Jews First, though, in verse 8, it is a reminder that we remember he came for the Jews first so that the promises throughout the Old Testament would come true. And one of those promises is that he would include the Gentiles. Genesis gives us this promise that all nations will receive the blessing of God. And so while he did have to come to the Jews at first, he came to them to fulfill the promises of God throughout the, Holy, or throughout the Old Testament. And one of those was to reach the Gentiles. And the Gentile is anyone who is, was not a Jew. Most of us. And so there was something very special about this promise that that was given in the Old Testament, and the fulfillment of the promise that all nations would receive the blessings of God did mean that the fathers, the patriarchs here that we're speaking about, were required to widen the circle of God's people to the entire world. That is why in verse 9, 
Jesus also served the Gentiles in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Guys, why is he telling us this? Why is he telling us this? Since the Jew and Gentile have both been blessed with mercy, his disciples should extend acceptance to those in the community that are also different than themselves. That's why he's telling you this. That's why he's telling you this. He goes through such... the He takes so much time here for us to see the importance of this and the way that we relate communally together is that he now quotes four scriptures in case you didn't get the point, (laughs) okay? Paul is really making sure we understand. So now, in verse 9 through 11, he quotes four different Old Testament passages to show that, yes, Christ came for the Gentiles as well. The first quote here in verse 9, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name is David rejoicing in God for the triumph that he has experienced that was including all of the nations that he was now subject over. The second is Deuteronomy 32, 43, and he says, again I said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. God, in this moment, allowed the Gentiles to praise God with the Israelites. The third, in verse 11, he says, And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all of the peoples extol him. Psalm 117.1. Here is the next verse, that now, now the Gentiles, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. He's not saying, hey, you can just do it with the Israelites. He is actually showing that they can do it on their own. And then the fourth, the final verse in Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 10. He says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So church, something special happens when different groups gather in harmony unto the Lord. Because the very next verse, it says, the God of hope fills you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit will overflow you with hope. So don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss the importance and the opportunity that we have as we gather as God's people. We are to be a joyful people. We are to be a joyful people that is filled with peace because we are coming in and we are filled with the hope of the Lord. Now, It is important, and while I would love to kind of keep talking about practical applications of how do we do that as a church, I am going to trust the Holy Spirit to help guide you on that, of how you 
can engage and love one another in such a way that is a picture of the gospel because it is a true call. Though today I want to focus your eyes and your attention on one truth in the midst of this that is remarkable, and it is that God wants you to have His hope. God wants you to have His hope. He does not want you to stay in a place of hopelessness. He does not want you to feel that hope is far, something far that cannot be attained. He wants you to have hope. And before I prove it to you real quickly in God's Word of why that is a true statement to you personally, let me just for a moment, what is hope? Hope is not simply wishing that something would happen. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God's promises will come true. That is what biblical hope is. Biblical hope, again, is a confident expectation that God's promises will come true true. And now back to the point that I believe the Lord desires to refresh in our souls, to be reminded of, is that He, God on high, desires us this morning to truly believe that He desires you to walk in hope. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads, and in, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, and remember, he's about to now say those four verses that we already read. But he stops and he says, as it is written. Now, that should take us back to verse 4 in Romans chapter 15 verse, Romans 15, verse 4, where it says, Forever, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of Scripture we might have hope. So here Paul is literally practicing the application of verse 4. He is saying it is, in, it is through Scripture that is going to be edifying, it's going to give you endurance, it's going to be encouraging, so that you have hope. So I'm going to tell you four different verses all throughout the Old Testament to give you hope. God's desire is for you to have and live a life filled with hope. Verse 12. And again, Isaiah said, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises, the rule of the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. Church, this is a promise. The root of Jesse will come, and he has, and in him will the Gentiles hope. This is a promise. And then verse 13, may the God of hope now let's stop there for a moment. God is not going to just give you hope. He is the God of hope. His very nature is to give and instill 
hope to you. It is who he is. So he is not just saying, should I do something nice for you today? No, he, this is what he does. When you have placed your faith in Christ, and you, out of grace and mercy, have been accepted into his family, he gives you hope. Now we have this nasty thing called sin that still sticks around and still affects us, and still draws our heart, and we still forget to remember that our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. That's why we have a church to welcome each other, to remind one another, oh yeah, I can welcome you because Christ has welcomed me. I am a recipient of grace and mercy. I too can have hope. So may the God, in verse 13, of hope is He. And He then fills you. Why? Because He's good. He fills you with joy. He fills you with peace. Because we are reminded of who we are in the gospel as we come and we gather and we engage and we welcome one another and God fills us with hope. And may I add, well, I'm not going to add, may I point your attention to what he says in verse thing, in verse 13. He says, so the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. So if you're wondering how much hope, overflowing kind of hope, you are filled with so much hope that there is literally no more room inside of you for fear, for discouragement, for anxiety. It's, there's no room. It's literally when you eat that much turkey and you eat that much on Thanksgiving, at some point you're like, I can't have, I am so full. I cannot eat anything. I am overflowing with fullness that you cannot put anything else in. Well, literally the Holy Spirit through His power will fill you and overflow you with His hope where there is no room left. And so as we gather, we can gather with confidence that He will fill you with His hope as you, yes, welcome one another. But again, this last point, which is so beautiful, is this hope has a foundation. It has a basis to it. And the last point is that hope is in Jesus, who is the root of Jesse. Verse 12 reads, the root of Jesse will come and in him will the Gentiles hope. So where does this hope come from? In the root of Jesse. Where does this hope come from? This is your time to answer it. The root of Jesse. So Jesse, if you would remember Old Testament, Jesse was the father of King David. Jesse was the father of King David, and throughout Scripture we know Samuel promised, Samuel promised that there would be an offspring out of David's lineage that would be the king that would establish the kingdom of God. In Isaiah, 
he then uses this phrase, root of Jesse, referring to that promised Messiah. Hey, I know, Jesse, David, you died, the stump is cut, but there is a root that is going to grow, that is going to have life, and it is going to come from this family, from this lineage, and it is a Messiah. This is why the Messiah in Scripture is referred to as the son of David so often. Because we can be confident in the very promises of God will come to fruition, and we saw it in the root of Jesse. The root of Jesse has come. The root of Jesse has come. And in him, in him, in him alone, will the Gentiles find their hope. Now, if you, are, if you are doubting this for a moment, if you're like, really? I don't think maybe many of you are, but if for some reason you are, is this really the root of Jesse? Is it really Jesus? Well, remember in Matthew 1, the genealogy, you can easily just, I won't read the whole thing, though the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, goes on after many patriarchs and fathers. Jesse, the father of David, the king, was among them. And in the very last, chapter 1, verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Revelation, chapter 22, Jesus says it himself. He says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So whom do you find lasting, true hope in? It is the root of Jesse. It is Jesus. Jesus is the basis, the foundation of your hope. Your hope cannot be based upon anything else. Anything. Your hope cannot be based upon health. Your hope cannot be based upon doctors. It cannot be based upon money. It cannot be based upon reputation. It cannot be based upon jobs. It cannot be based upon the school you attend, how smart you are. It cannot be based on how good your kids do when they leave, how strong your marriage will be. It cannot be based in anything else at all other than Jesus Christ. In that church, Jesus is not a moving target. He is consistent, and we can find him. But if your hope is found in your investment portfolio, good luck. Good luck. You think the market, you're going to just time the market? Have fun. The economy is crazy. Markets are wonky. They're up, they're down, they're steady, they're high. If your hope is found in there, it's a moving target. Jesus is not a moving target. He does not change. He is the root of Jesse. So church, may you, as you, as you come to this passage, and I, and I pray as you reflect on this passage, would you consider this incredible truth that the God of hope is going to fill you with all his joy and peace as you believe in him. And the power of the Holy Spirit may then produce abounding hope in you 
and you have that as your basis in all of life is found in the root of Jesse. In Jesus Christ alone. Alone. Don't add to it. We focus. And our hope is found and rooted there. And then it produces this incredible outpouring of the church gathering and welcoming one another. And loving one another. Even when you're so different. Where's my friends? Because I don't have anyone who I can relate to. That is a real question, and I'm not trying to talk down about that, though that is not the biblical standard for church relationship. Church relationship is found in Christ Jesus. That is whom we have in most common. So as your confidence and your expectation that God will act upon His promises. May we finish by remembering a couple of his promises. Romans 8, chapter 20. He says, in hope, the creation will no longer be plagued. Church, there is a new heaven and a new earth coming. Your hope is not in this world. It's not. It cannot be found. It is tempting. It's a lie. It is found. There will be a new heaven and a new earth one day. No pain, no suffering, no more struggles. And when we wake up and we're aware of the struggles, we simply turn our perspective to whom our hope is in. Romans 8, chapter 28. Verse 23, it goes on and he reads, We groan and we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. There is a day of glorification. And the pain will no longer stay. There will be new glorified bodies on that day. There is a hope, even in the midst of current trial. So let me ask you, as we conclude, where have you been placing your hope in the world? Where have you been placing your hope in the outcome that you so desire? The moment we place our hope in circumstances, we have placed it in the wrong place. Because as we enter Advent season and every day as a Christian, our hope is in Christ and Christ alone. And in that, there will produce a lasting joy. A joy that is not based upon circumstances. The joy you can have in all circumstances and a peace that is just far from any kind of understanding. He produces it. So what do you do? You run to Christ, and you pray what Paul prayed. God, fill me with your hope, and with all joy and peace, as I believe in you, so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope in me. May that be your.